Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Claves Online. I'm Mike Claiborne, and well, I wonder if you had enough of the NFL draft. It's over now, and I know a lot of people paid attention to it. The ratings said it was the best ever. So I'm wondering if you got a feel of what the NFL draft was all about and who signed here and who signed where. You probably didn't. And if you did, you probably don't have enough because we have Chris Landry. And if you know anything about Chris Landry and LandryFootball.com, then you know we've got the best person there is when it comes to draft evaluation, personnel evaluation, and just knowing the game of football in the manner that he does because of the fact he spent over 30 years in a variety of capacities within the NFL and college coaching. So this is a guy you definitely want to pay attention to. And guess what? He's here on ClavesOnline.com, and he's coming up next after we take this time out for these important messages. Munganass St. Louis Acura would like to extend a huge thank you to our healthcare workers and first responders by offering them several service specials, including a free interior detail cleaning. You can call them today to make your appointment and let them help you while you are helping our community. Find them online at stlouisacura.com or give them a call 314-822-2872 for Munganass St. Louis Acura. Before we go any further, coming up next, I want to introduce you to one of my friends from Ameren, Illinois. He's the vice president of gas operations. He is Eric Kozak. That's right. They're not just an electric company. They're also a gas delivery provider. Yeah, so our number one concern is calling 811 before you dig. 811 is a national number. People will come out and they will mark the lines for you and let you know where your gas service is. So if you're putting in a basketball hoop or you're putting in a bush, Call 811, because if you don't call 811, you might have to call 911, <laughs> and we want to prevent that call. Well, it's always great to visit with Chris Landry, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com, a busy man. The first thing I want to ask you about this whole draft, because of all the changes, because of uh, coronavirus, what did you learn about evaluation, and do you think some of the teams may reconsider moving forward after this on how they approach things? Because there weren't as many pro days. You had the combine. Free agents all of a sudden became an interesting item to choose from. So give me your slant on how you assess this draft uh, in a different tone what we've been accustomed to. Well, you know, I think that one of the things that in, in working with some of these teams, doing some consulting work, a lot of them, particularly the younger guys, the younger generation, and we talked about this the last time we spoke, that there was a lot of apprehension because this was new to them. Well, it's new to all of us. We've never been, none of us have been alive for a, a pandemic and and how it affects us to do our work uh, in, in football, just like everybody's having to adjust to it in their own line of work. I think the thing that I stress prior to the draft of both is you got to trust your judgments in the fall. We were very fortunate that we had, you know, we had a fall football schedule. Uh, we had a combine. So we had a lot of stuff. Uh, could, it would have been a lot worse had this happened. And, of course, this virus was out there. Uh, had it eliminated our combine, it would have been devastating in terms of getting the proper medical information. We still had a lot of information, maybe not as much as we would like to have. But that's just the way it is. Uh, everyone had to adjust to it. So I think the thing is, you know, it it, uh, it allows you to maybe – a better way to be resourceful. We we always tend to think that we've got to overdo it and overdo it and overdo it. And sometimes, you know, maybe you can get to paralysis by analysis. So focus on the things that are really important. And that's what I always I drill down to people. Focus on what's really important, most important, and take care of that. And then work your way back from that. I think that's something you can learn from it. Still, going forward, we hope none of us have to deal with this in our society again, but listen, it's possible. Uh, I think it goes to show you that, you know what, we need to look at things a little bit differently. We can't take tomorrow for granted, so we we better be careful to think, well, you know what, we're going to visit with them at this time, or we're going to be able to do this. Get it done as quick as you can get it done, and if you have time to follow up later, great. If you don't, You've at least got as much information. But I think the lack of medical information was disconcerting. It still is. And we're not going to know how those medical grades turn out and how that's going to play out with some of the picks to years down the road, just like we won't determine 
how successful they're going to be on the field to a few years out. But at this point, I think you just have to trust your instincts, and we were fortunate to know as much as we could about these players, even though we, we didn't get as much as we wanted. It's way too early to determine winners and losers, but who addressed their needs, in your opinion? Uh, because I, I thought you had two different approaches. You had teams that were trying to find the one more piece because they want to go for it. And then you have teams that said, you know what, we're a year, perhaps two years away. Let's start to stockpile and build some guys and develop them in our organization the way we want it done. So what teams do you think address both of those needs? Well, I think the team that did the best job of letting the draft come to them, and what I mean by that is you set your draft board up correctly, you evaluate correctly, and you get really good value for players, really good players, stick to your board. Don't focus on, well, I need this position. I'm going to take that. Take the best player. You'd be surprised what your needs are today and what they're going to be tomorrow. Get the best players. I thought Baltimore Ravens did the best job. They got more players that can help a team than anybody. Now, whether all of them are going to make it or not, obviously, um, is relative to their talent level at different positions. But, I mean, going down with Queen and Dobbins and Matapuke and Devernay and Harrison and Phillips and Bredesen and even Prochet in the sixth round and Geno Stone in the seventh, they got lots of good players. Uh, Minnesota did a nice job. Um, you know, and there, there are other teams that did. You know, the teams that tend to say, look, we're missing this. We're, we're a few... You're never one player away. The Kansas City Chiefs are not one player away. I mean, everybody's got areas they need to improve. And so sometimes you have a team that's maybe has a really good roster and maybe a lot of players deep middle or deep in the draft may not make your team. Maybe you can find that key piece here or there. Um, you know, the Bucks draft in Tristan Wirfs to, to be a starting right tackle. That's great. It's a need pick. It's a value pick. But, you know, are they one player away in Tampa? No. I, I think most teams are not. I think we know the good teams in the league, but what separates the good ones from the ones that end up champions are teams that can play down the stretch and play with some depth, play with some versatility. And, like, for example, with the Chiefs, I thought what got their team kicked into a different level was when Patrick Mahomes went out and all of a sudden their defense started to take ownership a little bit more. And that, that became the impetus for them figuring out a way situationally to get off the field defensively and, uh, and obviously come back in a, in a playoff game that they were dead in the water at Houston. And, you know, for, for most of the playoff run, it was behind here, behind there, uh, same thing in the Super Bowl, but they were able to do it because obviously because of their offense, that's how they, their team is built, but they play good situational defense. And I think sometimes, you know, we tend to forget that, that it's about the makeup of your team and it's about getting good players that can help your team and be good leaders and make plays at crucial times. And that's what you need to get at all positions. And in this day and age of the NFL, it's a constant change. It's injuries, it's free agency. So what you think, again, is a strength may not be a strength, you know, in the middle of the season. It may be a weakness, so get the best player and move on is the way I always approached it. LandryFootball.com is where you can read and hear all the things Chris Landry has to say about not only the draft, but the college scene, recruiting, you name it when it comes to football, you can find it at LandryFootball.com. All right, Chris, we, we talk about some of the teams that help themselves. Give me some head scratchers. Uh, not necessarily always in the early rounds, because I'm, I know we have a couple there that we can talk about, but uh, as well as the, the middle round picks, because those guys are essential to the success of a football team as well. But who were some of the teams where you just had to wonder, we are on different pages with regard to your needs? Well, you know, I look at Green Bay's draft and I'm maybe Seattle's draft. And I think I, I, I probably wouldn't have made those decisions um, like they did at those spots, but you know, who knows? I mean, they, they doesn't mean I'm right. It's just kind of how I see it. Those maybe had some questionable moves. Um, you can certainly, I, I can, what I see a lot is, late rounds. You know, a lot of people think, well, first round reach, but I see a lot of reaches in the fourth round 
and then the fifth round where I think there's really good players. Because, you see, I think they're third-round graded players on the board uh, in the fifth round. And a lot of times if people, again, they find a player at one position, they move to try to fix another position later. And, again, what have you really done if you've taken two pretty good players at positions of need? You might have been able to get two better players at both those positions if you had exercised a little bit differently and showed a little bit more patience and not be too anxious about jumping on what's there. So I, I, I think you're right. There are a lot of picks late in the round that, that I question. But here's the other thing is people see diff- players differently. So what I think might be a reach, they might think it's a really good player. Jordan Brooks is, is a really good player for in, in going to Seattle. I do think they see a lot of Bobby Wagner in them. But, I, you know, I, I, I still think there are better players on the board in the first round. Uh, I think Daryl Taylor's a good player. But, you know, I, I'm not saying they could have had him in the second round. I'm saying I think there were better players on the board. But they may not see it that way. They may have those guys rated higher. And if they can play and be very successful, who's to say they're wrong? I mean, the one thing about it is there are not a lot of picks, Mike, where I can say, man, I just don't like that player. Very few. I mean, there's some. I admit there's some, but they're not a lot that I don't like the player. But there are a lot of them I say, well, I like the player. I don't really like the pick because I think there's better players. But, you know, circumstances may dictate that. And who's to say who's right and who's wrong until down the road? You, you know, one of the intriguing picks was the Jalen Hurts selection. And, I, and I'm not sure... Mm-hmm whether that was a message to the direction that this league is going, because we all know if you lose your left tackle and your quarterback, your season, you're playing for an early pick next year. You're not going to go very far. But if you have a quarterback that can step in and do the job, like we've seen in the past, and you can go back to Nick Foles as a, as a recent guy. Uh, the guy in Tennessee was another one. When you see these these quarterbacks come off the bench and continue to carry a team, you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, this Hurts guy, A, is a winner, exceptional athlete, highly intelligent when it comes to football. He's a guy that could possibly pick this thing up if, if Wentz goes down. And with Carson Wentz's history of injury, it doesn't seem like as bad of a pick as some may think. But my question to you is, is this a trend we're looking at now where teams say to themselves, you know, there's two spots that we need to reinvest in because we can lose our season if we don't have one of those guys. Well, I think quarterbacks, if anything, quarterbacks are overvalued, meaning, pardon me, uh, that, you know, the importance of it is so great that if you've got somebody that, you know, it's kind of works the opposite of a lot of positions is that you you, you tend to take guys that maybe are third-round grades, uh, late first, early second, because of the importance of it. So I think it, that finding a quarterback and developing one is always something that's on the forefront if you like them, uh, e- even if you have a good quarterback and a young one. What this tells me to take a pick this high, second round, is, for Philadelphia is they obviously think they've got something in him as a quarterback. Now, time will tell. I've got concerns about him as a passer. But, you know, to take him that high, it, it, you alluded to it. This is an organization that won a Super Bowl in a stretch run in the playoffs with a backup quarterback. So they understand the importance as well as anybody. That uh, if the backup quarterback is maybe the second most important position on your team, certainly that argument can be made, um, then having a really good one would mean that that's a high priority pre-agency draft or what have you. So this tells me they like him a lot as a, de- as a developmental quarterback. Now, I have a hard time envisioning, uh, and I realize Carson Wentz has had injuries, but Carson Wentz is young. I have a hard time envisioning Jalen Hurts starting in Philadelphia unless Carson Wentz continues to have health issues. Um, So that's the most intriguing thing. Now, I will say this. Also, Doug Peterson has admired what Sean Payton has done with Taysom Hill, and I think he has a plan to utilize the slash factor, the jack-of-all-trades factor with Jalen Hurts in some regard. But you don't take a guy in the second round to be a jack-of-all-trades. That's something you consider in the fourth or fifth round. So this tells me that they maybe can get a little bit of both, maybe cross-train him to help him on to 
create some playmaking opportunities for this offense and develop him as a number two in the event that Carson goes down or if they have a situation where Carson continues to really go south on, you know, from a health standpoint, maybe they feel like they got their future starter. Anything other than that way of thinking, to me, would suggest they took him too high. So, obviously, they have a high regard for him, and I don't know that he would have been there for him on the third round. Maybe, maybe not, but they obviously didn't risk it and took him there at 53. You know, one of the things about that pick, and you touched on uh, Hertz's passing, I think Peterson's the perfect guy for him to be able to understand the passing game at this level, being a former quarterback and working with other quarterbacks before, and Nick Foles would be a good testament to that. I, I think it's a good match, and we'll see how it develops down the road. So here's a question I want to, I have for you, and you kind of touched on it earlier. Without the the medical information and not having the pro days, who who slipped, in your opinion? Who slipped, in your opinion, because they didn't have the pro day and they didn't have the medical information that they needed to uh, to actually be able to to truly assess them, and they probably would have been higher had that information been passed on, and everybody would have had a more clear understanding of this person not being a, a medical risk. I think Bradley and I of Utah went to Dallas. Curtis Weaver went to Miami in the fifth round. The defense defense end from Boise. I think Bryce Hall, corner, went to the Jets in the fifth round. I think Jake Fromm, not medical, but probably the in-person interviews heard him. Prince Teguanago from Auburn went always dropped all the way to the sixth round. Um, those are some, I think, that, that uh, were hurt by Jawan Jennings. Not so much medical, but bad workout that didn't have a chance to kind of prove it. So you're sitting there thinking you maybe have a 4-7 receiver, but He's really faster than that. You probably could have cleaned that up uh, in the pro days. You, you couldn't. Uh, those are some guys that jump out at me as, as guys that were better players that weren't drafted quite as high, that were a byproduct of maybe some issues that weren't cleared up, off-the-field, medical, workout, clarification. Uh, I think those are some that come out to mind. There are others, but those are the ones that were – I think the highest rated, I mean, I think all those guys are top 110 type players that I gave you. Let's see. Juwan Jennings, seventh round. KJ Hill, uh, would he go? But the fourth round, Geno Stone, seventh round. Tyler Johnson, Minnesota, fifth round. Jason Strobridge, fifth round, uh, North Carolina defense tackle. Um, Winago of Auburn, sixth round. So a lot of those guys, um, Jake Fromm, uh, Natain Muti, the, the guard from Fresno, went to Denver. Um, so we're talking guys that went 5th, 6th, 7th round that I thought were amongst the top 100, let's say 110, 115 players in this draft uh, because of the reasons that you mentioned. I want to ask you about Denver for a minute because there's a local flavor with regard to the quarterback and Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of other players have been drafted and signed from, from Missouri. Uh, give me your impression of that draft, and, and where do you see Drew Locke down the road? Because it seems like John Elway wanted to really make an investment in offense, not just with receivers. He uh, ends up getting Melvin Gordon in the offseason, but also making sure he gets a couple of offensive linemen uh, as well to really get that offense in sync. So give me your thoughts on what the draft uh, meant to you as far as where they're going to head, and do you think they were able to sign and, and trade and draft the right guys? Well, Elway's really struggled with uh, – I can't think of anybody that's missed on quarterbacks uh, running teams more than John Elway. I mean, outside of recruiting John Elway there, there's not been a whole lot that he's done positive there when you think about it. He's got uh, Drew Locke, somebody that they I, – I thought Drew did some good things. They uh, look at everything that they've done. They brought in a veteran coordinator. They had a pretty good coordinator. They brought in a veteran guy that's worked well with quarterbacks and Coach Shermer, to to develop him. Then they go out and they get receiver, they get offensive linemen, they, they're trying to play well around him. So Judy's a speed guy. Hamler is a guy that can make plays, run after catch. Um, you know, Albert O is there in the fourth round, another great athlete that played well with Drew. So w- what they're going to do is, look, try to make it a little bit of an easier game for the quarterback get the ball out of his hands quickly, 
And in order to have success doing that, you have to have playmakers with the ball in their hands. And if you do that, then obviously you can dictate a little bit more in terms of favorable coverage matchups where you can go deep and attack people. So that's clearly what they did. Um, They drafted the kid from Fresno State in the sixth round. Muti is a big power guard. And then Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU's got uh, some real value at center. So, yeah, everything has been about, okay, let's try to protect them and let's try to um, to give some playmakers. And they've done a pretty good job with that with playmakers. Offensive line, still a work in progress, but they at least addressed it in the interior. Stick around, folks. There is more of Chris Landry coming your way. We've got a number of subjects to cover you don't want to miss it because there are going to be some things you probably didn't think about when it comes to the draft that Chris is going to enlighten you on. So don't miss it. We've got more of Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com coming your way next on ClavesOnline.com. Are you in the market to purchase a new or used vehicle? Munganass St. Louis Acura is here to help. Check out all of their inventory at StLouisAcura.com. They'll bring the car to you. And they can also complete the entire process without you having to leave your home. Contact them today at stlouisacura.com. We have a chance today to visit with Richard Mark, the chairman and president of Ameren, Illinois. And Richard, considering how many people that are working from home and you have families at home as well, a lot of electricity is being used and a lot of power is being used and there are still ways to save. The best way to save energy is don't use it. And so not only reminding our children and ourselves to turn lights off, but in this day and age to turn our electronic appliances off, our electronic devices off. When you charge your cell phone and then you unplug it from your phone, if it's still plugged into a wall socket, uh, if it does not have some type of smart switch that you have it plugged into, that energy is still being used. So people don't realize all of the ways that they're still using energy. Chris Landry's been in this business for over 30 years, folks, and he's been in a lot of draft rooms. He's been giving advice to a lot of people over the years. And, Chris, these are some terms we hear on draft day, and I'm sure you've heard them too. For instance, he was very high on our board or (laughs) couldn't believe he was still there. And, of course, uh, we couldn't be more excited for what we were able to get in the draft this year. A lot of players we had valued very high, and we found them to be to our liking. And then uh, you have the other ones that you've heard of. But in, in this situation, and you've, you've sifted through enough of this over the years, how much are they actually telling the truth? Because I've never heard a coach or a GM say, you know, folks, I'm sorry, we didn't get anybody we were hoping to get. And I don't know what we're going to do, but we took some guys we think we can coach up. We, we never hear that line. So in all <laughs> honesty, when, when the draft is over, and everybody's trying to be optimistic and positive. How many times do you just shut the door and say, what the hell did we just do? Yeah, well, yeah, it would be uh, interesting. Can you imagine the soundbite if he came on and said, oh, holy, you know what, this stunk. We couldn't get anybody we wanted. We got a bunch of knuckleheads. I, I have no idea what we're going to do with this <laughs> cast of near to all you know, you're never, never going to see It's kind of like a recruiting class. Couldn't get anybody. Exactly. I mean, nobody wanted to come here. We sucked. I mean, you'd be, go all Jim Moore on them. You're never going to see that. Um, for the most part, you'd be surprised how boards look differently. So you'd be very surprised on you know how you see guys and you like them, and you can often get a not everybody, but a lot of guys that you like. We used to always it used to be comical because we used to always sit there because in the draft form we got. You know, you know everybody. People come off the board. You put them by the teams, and you look at somebody's draft, and you say, "What the heck were they thinking?" <laughs> and you know they're in their in their draft room saying, "What the heck were they thinking?" So, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, it, it truly is something. It's I kind of equate it to like this when you walking somewhere and you see a couple, and you say, "Man, I, I don't know what." She saw it him first. You know what? You know it's uh, love is blind. Love is blind in the draft too. You have a lot of that. Now look, I mean, if you're sitting there, everybody would like to add Chase Young. Everybody would like to add a certain amount of these guys. Uh, so you don't get anybody that you want. But you sit there and you'd be shocked how many times that uh, I've been fortunate enough to pick 32nd or 31st, and there's somebody on our board that's top nine or 10 or 15 that I really like, 
and, and he failed all day. And you could kind of usually see a guy slipping. And guys with first-round grades that are in there in the second round or guys with a high second-round grade that they're in the fourth round, and, and it, it happens quite a bit. But it's because you're seeing a guy one way and another team seeing it another way. It's not a universal board. And I try to explain that a lot. So it happens quite a bit, but there's sometimes when you look at it and you say, "Oh boy, I'm," you know, it's not quite what I had hoped. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, we wanted to move out of the pick and we couldn't, so we took the best option there, but we're not crazy about it. And then there are other times, but you know what? Sometimes you look back, and those are some of the best drafts that you know. You say, "You know what? That worked out a lot better than I thought." <laughs> I can tell you this, when we drafted Steve McNair, that wasn't a universal in the draft from everybody high five. There's some people walking in the hall that just were, you know, that out of earshot that weren't real happy with pick. Uh, even though they knew we were going to go with it, they still weren't happy. Um, and, and yet, you know, later, they're the ones saying, oh, yeah, we love them. It's funny because I hear, oh, yeah, so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, I was in that draft room. What <laughs> didn't didn't like him and, and at all? But that happens. That happens a lot. I think you you tend to look at things a certain way, like most people do, and you look at it a little bit differently three years down the road. I always say there's selective memory and selective amnesia. Look, I'll give you an example too around the things that happen. And it's just you know, there's a million stories like this. But you know, Bill Walsh wasn't. Uh, you know, and I, God rest his soul, I love him. He meant a lot to me. But, you know, I hear him say a lot about, oh, man, he, he, Jerry Rice. I remember seeing him on the highlight tape when I was on the road going to, you know, and, uh, and we're preparing for a game. And Sunday night, I'm, you know, eating a snack and watching, see that guy. And, oh, yeah. He didn't want Jerry Rice. Bill Walsh wanted Eddie Brown, the receiver at Miami, and he tried to trade up with one of his former protégés, Sam Weiss. And Sam told him, Bill, I'm not moving down with you. I want the same guy you do. And the Bengals took Eddie Brown, and Bill Walsh had to, air quotes, settle for Jerry Rice. Um, You know, it it just, he wasn't sold on Joe Montana initially. I have people in that draft room. I know who, there's one guy that really liked Joe Montana. It was a scout named Ernie Plank. And, you know, it, it came time third round and they went ahead and did it. But, you know, and you have like Tony Rosano and Bill Walsh, they picked all big credit for it. They did really. <laughs> that wasn't, it worked out. But you'd be surprised a lot of times how things kind of change and the view of things in retrospect was, oh, yeah, I wasn't that high on that guy. Oh, I really like that guy. That, it's uh, go back and look at it. It's why we make everybody write a report. The report is there. It doesn't lie. It tells you. It reveals all <laughs> to the chagrin of many. <laughs> you know, I'll give you a story similar to that. Um, I was talking to a Cardinal scout, Harry Gilmer. You probably remember him. He'd been in the game yeah, for a long I'm time. Yeah, Gilmer, yeah. So I yeah. asked him, I said, hey, uh, you know, how's scouting going? He said, there's some pretty good players out there. I said, what about this guy, uh, Jerry Rice, at Mississippi Valley State? And he looked at me, and there was another guy standing next to me. He looked at me and said, we, we don't scout them kind of schools. He, he couldn't help us. And I knew at that point the football Cardinals would do. If they have a guy who who wouldn't recognize a guy who of Rice's talent, now, granted, he wasn't a world beater. I mean, he didn't have the greatest 40 time or any of that sort of stuff. But you looked at him and you felt like, you know what, he's got the size, he's got the hands, we can coach this guy up. And, you know, he was in an offense, they caught the ball a lot. But it's amazing how people will have one perception and another team will have a different perception. And that's why we have 30 different opinions as far as the NFL is concerned. Hey, I want to. Yeah, add- and if you're if you're looking at Jerry Rice, you know the size and the speed are, are, are not the story with him. He's just another guy with that. It was his tremendous work ethic to make himself great, uh, to to augment what skills he did have, and that's what made him great. And there's no doubt about that. So you had to really get to know him mm-hmm. really well. I mean, I, I use the story with McNair. I, and I wasn't crazy about. It. 
you know, I, you know, but I really studied him and got to know him. And when I came out of it, I said, this guy's going to be a tough SOB and he's going to be a leader. And that's what he was. Wasn't the greatest passer. Wasn't a hall of famer. He's just a good quarterback. And, you know, I knew he would lead guys would follow and he would play through toughness and he would play through kind of bad plays and, and get you out of some bad plays. And so, you know, even when you don't see greatness, you see goodness, if you would, and, and you see what a guy can be. And, and if you do your homework, get to know him, that, that's, that's all the difference in the world to, to making a determination. Chris Landry is our guest. LandryFootball.com is where you can find everything you need to know about the program, the college game, recruiting, you name it. Chris Landry has it. Just go to Chris, go to Landry.com, LandryFootball.com, and uh, sign up and make sure you're in the loop and you'll be a smarter person thanks to Chris Landry and the great work that he puts in. We're at a point now where we've got free agency going on. We've got two levels of free agency. We have the free agents who were not drafted. And we also have the veteran free agents who've already been out on the market, and we're starting to see some more free agents as some guys are starting to get cut. So my first question to you is this. What sort of money are some of these free agents who weren't drafted starting to get? Because I'm reading some numbers where some of these guys are going to make more than maybe a late-round draft choice when it comes to a signing bonus. Because you have some of those guys on your draftable board, and you you – when you take them in the seventh round, um, there's no competition. You take them, and that's that. If you have to sign them as an undrafted free agent, and gets competitive. So the agent, you, the agent's got leverage then. So well, you know, the Rams are going to offer ten, and well, they, they'll offer fifteen, and well, then that gets an issue. Which, by the way, is why certain people, uh, Belichick does it. A lot of people do it, and I mentioned like the Ravens and the Vikings did. Everybody laughs at me. How many seventh round picks are going to have? Give me all the seventh round picks I can get, my friend, because there are a couple of things I can do with it. I can move them if I want to move up to get a player that maybe I have a pretty good grade on. But on the seventh round, I'm getting guys with late fourth, early fifth round grades. And if I get four or five of them, I don't have to sign as many free agents and I don't have any competition and I don't have to pay them that money so that I can save that money and use it elsewhere in this cap environment. So that's why we say from a financial standpoint and from a selection standpoint, the player has a little bit of an advantage. I know they like to get drafted, but to be undrafted because they can choose where they go and they can leverage other teams against them. So, um, against one another. So that's, that's what, um, that's how that process works and why I think it's so valuable and, you know, we're saying most of those guys are gone. A lot of the agreements that were made to, they're starting to be announced and starting to be official now. Um, but uh, that's that's the difference there. And then, of course, on the, the guys that are veteran free agents, what is happening is you've got cap issues. So Andy Dalton's going to be let go because they weren't going to keep this cap money. Now, it makes all the sense in, in the world football-wise to have an Andy Dalton, um, you know, perhaps and not have to rush Joe Burrow, but not at that price. So he gets released, and so whether it's Jacksonville, New England, wherever, he's going to negotiate and see where he can get. On terms of what they're able to get on the market, the market dictates. So if you're Jadavian Clowney, if you're anybody that's still up, did a team that might be interested, did they fill those needs? in the draft or didn't they? If they didn't, they might be able to get a little bit more money. Or if you're a guy like Clowney, um, remember, uh, players get paid off their regular season salary and making a team. Some of them might say, you know what? I might be able to get a little bit more money if I wait it out. Somebody has an injury and and, uh, I'll make a decision then. But, you know, the the thing that's held up a Cam Newton, a Jadavian Clowney, and a few other guys is, You've got that part of it, the negotiation part, but also the medical part. See, how much money are you going to want to give one of those guys without being able to give them a physical? That's going to determine a lot. So the player has to wait and the team has to wait until we're in an environment where we can get a physical, and that'll determine how much money you're willing to give one of those said players. And that's held up the market a little bit more this year than in other years. 
What's a kid that uh, doesn't get drafted? What kind of signing bonus money are we talking about here? Well, it depends and go up as much as fifty grand. Um, I've seen it uh, go that high, and some incentives, but uh, usually uh, anywhere from you know uh, ten to to fifteen uh, on the on the lower level guys. You, you may not get, but maybe a couple of grand. <laughs> you know, I can remember where if you got three grand, you were happy. It, it, it's changed oh, quite a bit. It's well, it's still it's still that range for guys that are not prime guys but again guys that had grades that were pretty good and people saw them as potential draft picks absolutely that's where you get some money and you say well wait a minute that's like getting an extra draft charge and we like him as much as a fifth round guy we're going to be willing to pay him a little money and i think that's always important to budget yourself some money for undrafted free agents because if you have a player like that it's like getting let's say you've got seven draft choices, but if you can sign five guys that are on your draft board, you got 12 draft choices any way you look at it. So if you budget some money to be a little competitive in free agency, you've got 12 draft choices with only seven picks, so to speak. So, And then if you budget the money and you don't have to use it, so be it. That's great. Uh, that's why, I, again, I always love it when you know you make trades or whatever, uh, I'll do that. I'll give you that pick, but I need a seventh and back. You know, and, and I always love that. And I always love to end up with about four or five seventh round picks. Those are really good bargaining chips, any way you look at it. We're visiting with Chris Landry. LandryFootball.com is where you can find everything you need to know about football. All right, the draft is over. Players have been signed. Mini camps, OTAs. What's that going to look like, uh, considering the current environment that we're in? going to be virtual until uh, told otherwise um what it looks like is the the as they put it the last team that's able to go is when everybody can go in so if new york and california are behind everybody else in this pandemic in terms of being able to open up to you know to reduce the social distancing landscape then we're going to go in when everybody, when those can go in and everybody else can. So that's the plan right now. It's virtual teaching. And uh, look, beyond that, I don't know. Um, I, I think that everyone is hopeful, but are planning as if there's going to be no, look, they would be mini camps this weekend and next weekend, rookie mini camps. That's what would be going on in the league right now. We're not going to have any of that. I don't think there's going to be any OTAs whatsoever. Um, I don't think anybody's anticipating having any availability to do anything in June, but who knows? We'll see. We'll see to the end of the month. I think everybody's hoping that training camp could go on time. I, I think there's, again, probably some doubt as to whether things are going to go on time, and maybe it's August. We don't know that. I will say this, that the league – is going to announce their schedule, the playing schedule, uh, on the seventh, which is a week, a week from uh, uh, the Thursday, as we uh, are talking. And so it's going to be a week from today, I believe, that they're going to announce it. And I'm curious to see how they organize it. I'm told that October fifteenth is the is the drop dead date for them to be able to get in a sixteen game schedule, meaning they could compress a 16-game schedule with no buys between, you know, no buys for anybody during the season, no buys between, you know, um, you know, championship game, Super Bowl, and all that. Um, and and they, they could obviously be moved back to Super Bowl would be like early March. That would be the last, you know, the, 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 the last resort. After that, it would probably be have, to, have to be a reduced schedule. But in terms of training camp and preseason, I mean, I would say that people are hopeful that we could do it, but at this point we don't know, and we're just like everybody else that's just kind of watching to see what uh, everybody's talking about, our, our people that are leading our decisions from a health standpoint. And, and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, Mike, it's going to be a lot of what the governors say individually in each state um, in conjunction with our national leaders and, you know, it's it's from the league standpoint. Again, it's going to have to be everybody's in, or we're we're not going to have a case. Where, all right, look, all you guys can go in, 
we understand Rams, Chargers, Jets, Giants. You, you guys can't can't get together and all that. That's that's you're tough luck. You're in the state. That's not going to work that way. I, I think that you know it's it's going to be everybody in or nobody goes in until everybody's able to go in. And I don't know when that's going to be. Obviously, Chris, you you touched on something. You you talked about the virtual teaching. And one of the things that I always got a kick out of when New England would draft, they drafted a lot of players with degrees who had graduated, who had gone four years, mm-hmm. got an education. How important do you think that's going to be now that when you draft a kid that his his academic progress in, in college where he had the aptitude to be able to, to, to learn and break things down by a te- from a teacher compared to just showing up for a class to get credit – how important do you think that's going to be now with the virtual teaching that's going to take place, along with the fact of making sure you have a coaching staff who knows how to teach in that manner as well? Because there are a lot of coaches who do it differently. But I've sat in a few squad meetings in my life, and I've seen coaches who were good enough to be college professors in the manner and how they were able to convey things. How important do you think that's going to be now compared to years past? Well, it's always important. Coaching is teaching, and this is why we do a lot of research in studying how a kid can learn. You know, always ask myself, what is a player's uh, capacity to learn and willingness to learn? I think more than anything, what this is going to improve, prove, or disprove this offseason is who are the self-starters. Because you're going to teach virtually, and you're going to teach with, you're going to have your iPad, and you're going to have to learn and do your work. Now there is, there are tracking devices now, so we can we can learn, you know, uh, and see. Um, you, you give an old playbook, you never know if Mike is looking through it or reading it or he's doing something else. But now you can see that Mike opened up his playbook at eight o'clock in the morning, and you know his his iPad, so you can learn a little bit. But it's still going to be about what is that player's ability to learn. Visually, You know, one of the teaching things that we do with the iPads is that it used to be just a playbook. But some people just don't. And, and, you know, the whole, when I was growing up and when I first started scouting, we didn't know what ADD was. ADD was a thing. We just didn't call it that. We didn't know it. We just, this mm-hmm. guy doesn't concentrate well or whatever. Uh, some guys just can't sit there and read stuff. They just, their mind wanders. But if you give them a visual, which is kind of like a video game, and kids today grow up in a video world, so iPads make sense. So it's a great teaching tool. I think it's the same thing with any student is we're going to learn a little bit about who's a self-starter, who can learn, how do they learn, and those things are going to be really important. And I think it's going to be important that you're very organized, you give guys tests, you can tell, give them quizzes, to really and have them teach one of the things I always like to do is make them teach the other guys. Nothing will embarrass them. In fact, I learned this. One of my best teachers I had was in a history class in high school. And what she would do, she was a nun. I grew up in a Catholic school. And she, her thing was she would divide up different aspects of a chapter. And she'd make you go up and teach the class that. You had to do a report on it and basically like teach it. Well, there's nothing that would embarrass the heck. I mean, I studied what I – because it was embarrassing to go up there and not know, whereas I, if I just had to read it, I just – I make guys go up and say, all right, show me all the checks here. They get embarrassed in front of their teammates if they're not prepared. So I think there are things you can do. Uh, you can do it virtually. It's not the same, though, Mike, because what you can't do is come together on the field and walk through it. And so it's all mental, which is fine, but you've got to be able to walk through it. You've got to develop chemistry. You've got to be able to get a feel for the spacing of other guys on the field and the setup, even through walkthroughs. You can't do that. So it's going to be a tougher adjustment for young guys this year than normal years, but that's going to be universal. Chris Landry, uh, now that the scouts have done their job for this draft class, uh, what happens now, and, and is there any downtime? What are you going to be doing? I'm, I bet you're already looking at the 2022 draft. Uh, but in, in any event, oh, I, what are they doing now? Yeah. What's going to happen from this point on? Along with making sure, and this is the other thing I want to remind people of, 
you're not out of business because your draft reports and your information is still available. So tell our listeners about that as well on how they can still stay in tune, even though this is an off season to be ready for when the season rolls around. Yeah, certainly we got all the draft boards and all the scouting reports up, but we've got every player pick that's graded team by team. We've got all of that for you up at LandryFootball.com. Uh, we are working on, um, you know, uh, the, the 2021 draft and the 22 22 draft college recruiting and breaking down rosters in the NFL and in college going in in grave detail how things look um so it it doesn't stop look there's going to be a football season at some point we're going to get folks ready for it so we are doing that with our podcast every day a college podcast and an NFL podcast every day as well as Lots of news and notes up on LandryFootball.com. We've got our scouting season offer, so it's a great opportunity to get involved. Less than $5 a month. So we think it's, look, if you like football, you're going to love LandryFootball.com. What scouts do this time of year, in May, there are what we call scouting combine meetings. Not scouting combine, like getting ready for Indianapolis next February, March, but national and blessed meetings, which we go over in detail. by region and all regions of the country, um, the class of 2021 going into the season. So national and blessed will have scouts that are broken down in 12 parts of the country, 12 area scouts. The teams actually hire and designate a scout and train them. And their job is, has been while we're all preparing for the draft, they've been out, uh, in most cases, in most years out to all the schools in the spring getting all the background information of all the players on the roster, getting times and all that. This year is different. Can't go out there. But you're still they're still gathering lists and looking at film. So you go in to Missouri. You know who's on the list and who are all the seniors who are on the list. We're aware of who some of the underclassmen are. We don't talk about them or ask about them when we go on campus, but we know who they are. So everybody's going to all the area scouts around the league for all the teams are getting ready to get prepared to go out in the fall to start evaluating next year's crop of players. But you do that, and I always had my scouts do this. You look at film so that when you go in this year, you're not having to look at you know the previous year's film. Look at as much film as you can over the summer on these players so that when you go out in the fall, you have a good feel for them. And then um, that really helps now. In, in my era, in my time, I was one of only like four scouts. A lot, teams have a larger scouting staff now. So I had to do that because I was crisscrossed in the country and uh, we had uh, you know a lot more people now in the league. But that's what you do right now. Every, it's a constant work in progress for me in my consulting role since I do a lot for college programs. I study players coming out of high school into college. I track and chart them and evaluate them in college. And then obviously I evaluate them as they transition to the NFL and then study them while they're in the NFL. And it gives me a good handle on players on all different levels uh, and what tends to make and what the the player be successful and what doesn't. And that's what we provide for you over at LandryFootball.com. Recruiting boards, draft boards, free agent boards, evaluating evaluation of players, teams, coaches, schemes, games during the season we got it all so uh we're getting everybody ready for the season whenever that's going to be mike you probably did your first draft report on some of these players uh what six months after they came out of the womb just to start tracking them at that point (laughs) no no but i tell you one thing there that there is a, a healthy knowledge of players in the 2022 recruiting class so, you know, it's 2021 now because obviously, you know, we're going to have the, the 2021 class, which is February, but it'll, early signing day is December 2020. But then there's the, the guys that are going to be in the class of 2022 that are going to be the following year's recruiting class. So I usually have an idea of, you know, players like, you know, and, and certainly it's, he's a known name, but like Arch Manning. Who's oh, Archie's yeah. grandson? That's, yeah, that's uh, uh, Cooper's it, kid, right? That's Cooper's son, Cooper, right? Cooper's kid, you know, and you know, guys in that 2022, sometimes 2023 class, I'm I'm made aware of, and and I'll do you know some due diligence, but I'll focus a lot on the current recruiting class and then uh, going in. But earlier than that, 
you hear about guys, you see guys, but you you, you got to see them develop a little bit. Um, and it, it's it's really good to get a feel for them. So by the time they're draft eligible, you already remember them from coming out of high school. And it's always fun to track the ones that weren't highly recruited, that developed, and why and how they developed, and why they were overlooked early, and then see the ones that were very highly recruited that never developed, that never put in the time, and you know why. And you, you can begin to start to determine, again, who has the it factor, the intangibles, because that's the most difficult part. Evaluating the physical skills of a football player is actually pretty easy if you have enough experience doing it and know how to do it, but the intangible part's always difficult because you don't know. You can't live with all of these kids and know them as well as you would like to and it's what makes them tick that really determines, you know, how much do they really want it. And then sometimes things change. Their lives change. They've got family issues that, that maybe contribute to distractions. And, you know, things we're learning more and more psychological and mental illnesses or problems that affect their motivation or just something as simple as puppy love and meeting their first girlfriend that they get serious with that, you know, all of a sudden they're not as focused and, you, you know, there's a lot of things that contribute to it. And I, you know, experience as a college coach that there, you deal with a lot of girlfriend problems and issues and those can make your career, you know, take a huge step forward with the right support system or can be a real negative. So all those things factor in, not just the physical skills. Chris Landry, always good to visit with you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Again, folks, LandryFootball.com, so you can catch up and be a little smarter about the game of football, thanks to Chris Landry. Chris, we'll pick it up again because we're going to do a podcast here down the road about those guys that you have notes on, uh, the ones who came out of nowhere, but you had them written down, and the ones who were disappointments because they didn't live up to the expectation. We'll do that one day as well as we get set for the next football season. Sounds good, man. That's Chris Landry. Man, it is always fun to visit with Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. And, folks, it's not too late to get involved because, as you know, football is a -a 12-month-a-year sport. And if you want to be in tune, whether it's your fantasy league or your alma mater or your favorite NFL team, Chris Landry is going to have everything you're going to need to know and then some. You can go to LandryFootball.com and sign up. But more importantly, you can just keep listening to him here at Claves Online. So for Chris Landry, I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for listening and stick around because we've got some more fun stuff coming your way right here on ClavesOnline.com.